You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning. Morning. Thank you. My name's Dave. I haven't met you before. If you are new, a very, very warm welcome. If you're a regular, a warm welcome to you as well. This is exciting. Uh, You guys probably know that Harborside Church, we are a very brand new church. This is our third week being open to the public. So we welcome you warmly. We hope you felt warmly welcome. We hope you got a good cup of coffee. We hope your children are being taken care of, or at least we hope. And um, we we hope that you are ready to hear from God's Word this morning. Uh, One of our key pillars, one of the, the key things about Harborside is we are building this church on the solid rock of God's Word. We are committed to allowing God to speak and we will listen. So that's what we're about to do. We're about to spend a good chunk of time opening up God's Word and hearing from Him. We believe it's not just a, a book thousands of years old that's interesting, but we believe it's God's Word that speaks to us today. And so we're going to practice that together this morning by opening up God's Word and hearing what He has to say to us. And we're not just going to learn some things from our mind, but we're going to try and hear God speak to us to the heart and then be changed We believe God's word transforms us. So that's what we're in the business of doing this morning. So I'm going to pray. This is a a beautiful thing. So would you join me as we pray and we seek to hear from God this morning? Let's do that together. Father God, thank you for bringing us here. It's a wonderful chance in our busy weeks to stop and to hear from you. And we believe that your, your word is true and it cuts to the heart. And it speaks to us about who you are and what you've done. And so we celebrate those things. But now open up our our minds, our ears to hear. Speak through me that I might get out of the way, that I might be just a signpost pointing to you, our glorious Saviour, Jesus. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had anybody else try and control you before? Anyone? Now, I bet you in a room like this, we must have, right? Anyone else trying to kind of make their opinion your, your opinion? You know, something like that. Ever had somebody else make their agenda for your life become your agenda for their life? Now, sometimes we call those people parents, don't we? Now, that's a bit... <laughs> I was going to say mothers, but that's just mean. Um, now, but that, that's kind of true. Now, often they have absolutely their best intentions. I mean, I'm a parent. I know what that's like for my children. Have it, the, your best intentions in mind, but sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming, can't it? And sometimes it's friends, family, co-workers, colleagues, bosses. But sometimes people try and make their agenda for your life become their yours. Does that make sense? Here's a picture of a, a man named William Wilberforce. One of my heroes, I actually didn't know much about, I must admit, I didn't know much about him until I read a fantastic biography of his life by Eric Metaxas called Amazing Grace. I thoroughly recommend it. Uh, He is quite well known for the enormous role he played in the abolition of the slave trade in the United Kingdom. Now, before this, though, William Wilberforce was born into an immensely privileged life of position, power and wealth. His parents and other influential people in his life, they really had a clear path for his life. They, they had a, a set-out path of what they wanted for his life. And an example of this, very early in his life, I think before he was even 10, 
they sent him to spend some time with his very uh, well-connected and wealthy auntie and uncle. So he went to spend some time with them. Trouble was, they were really, really keen Christians. And uh, Wilberforce's family wasn't really, his parents weren't. They, they would hold like church services in their living room. They had people like John Wesley and George Whitfield come and speak to their friends. And, and so Wilberforce, young Wilberforce, was being influenced by this. Parents heard about it, didn't like it so much. And so they thought, well, that's religion's okay in its right place, but these people are way too keen. They used to call them enthusiasts. O- only British people would think that was an insult. <laughs> They're enthusiasts, okay. That's what they called very keen Christians back then, part of the Methodist movement that Wesley started. So they called Wilberforce home. Now, for the next number of years, Wilberforce did what the aristocracy did. And he, you know, what wealthy folks did, went to school, got educated, and very much pleasing his parents. That was until Wilberforce himself became thoroughly converted. He became a Christian through the influence of good friends. It changed his life. He talks about it in his diaries as the great change. Changed overnight. Now, he was, had amazing gifts. He was a phenomenal orator. He used to speak in Parliament for hours and hours, capturing people's attention. I'm not going to try and do that this morning. Don't worry. But he was a rising star in politics, and many thought this man is the next Prime Minister, no doubt about it. But after he became a Christian, he felt the very strong call of God to use his wealth, privilege, position, gifts to right the horrible wrong of the slave trade. He he used pretty much the remainder of his life sacrificing health, personal wealth, friends, political alliances to end this horrific trade. It's hard to believe now, but so many people were against him. We're talking in the 1700s, 1800s. So many people were against him from friends, colleagues, family. People just, they saw the the toll it was taking on his life. And they said, William, take a break. Advance your political career, spend some time at your country manors. He had many of them, but he sold them to give to the poor a lot of the time. Advance your political career, but Wilberforce felt the call of God on his life. He would not change his mission. It took 20 years to outlaw slavery in the UK, 45 years to end slave trade around the world, but he committed his life to the mission that he felt God had given him. Phenomenal. He was not alone, by the way. Great men and women of God helped him on this journey. Now, in this morning's passage, we're going to see Jesus confronted by his newly minted followers with their agenda for his ministry. We're going to see that's right in the middle of our passage this morning. But Jesus is not going to be swayed by the mission that God has given him. And you and I should be absolutely thankful for that. Now, this morning, what we're going to see, we're going to see five short episodes. It was read very well from us by Paul. Thank you very much. We're going to see five short episodes, each worthy of their own sermon. Don't worry, you're only going to get one sermon this morning. But each worthy of their own sermon, five short episodes. In each, Jesus will reveal more of who he is and why he came. Now, that's really good because we're starting this series in Mark called Discover Jesus. And the book of Mark in the New Testament, it's a biography of Jesus' life, it's really got a few major themes, major questions, and they are, who is Jesus? What did he come to do? What does it mean to follow him? Who is Jesus? What did he come to do? What does it mean to follow him? And that question of who is Jesus, we're going to really fill in some answers to that question this morning. What we're going to see is we're going to see evil put in its place. We're going to see a bunch of healings. See Jesus show extraordinary compassion to an outcast. Finally, we'll see Jesus extend the kingdom of God on his terms. And that's got a lot of significance for you and I. 
Now, all of these episodes have got one thing in common. You probably figured out what it is, healing. We're going to see Jesus presented to us as a healer. It's kind of the theme for this morning. In future weeks, we're going to see Jesus, the teacher, so on and so forth. This morning, it's Jesus, the healer. But today, we're going to have our concept of healing deepen as Jesus does the true and deeper work of healing in his ministry. Okay, we want to spend some time on that this morning. So where do we begin? Episode 1. Let's have a look. I think it's from verse 21 there. If you've got your Bibles, feel free to look along. We're going to be journeying along in this narrative, fairly fast-paced, exciting. Hopefully that's, that's the idea of, of Mark's biography is Jesus' life. It's very fast-paced. And, and you, you keep moving from scene to scene, and we're going to learn a lot about who Jesus is and why he came. Okay, episode one. Jesus and his newly minted followers. It says they went to Capernaum. They is Jesus and his new followers enter into a synagogue in Capernaum. Jesus is from Nazareth. They're in Capernaum. Galilee is the area. Nazareth, very small town. Capernaum, just a little bit bigger. They go into a synagogue. And what does Jesus do? He immediately starts to teach. A synagogue's basically a local church for Jews back then. Temples in Jerusalem, we know that. But the synagogues scattered around Israel, they're like a local church for Jews. Jesus goes in and starts teaching. He assumes the role of rabbi. And guess what? He's pretty good at it. People start paying attention. Why? Because Jesus speaks with authority. See, the other teachers and the teachers of the law, what they had a habit of doing was they would constantly reference other rabbis and teachers from centuries past. They would cite, they would make millions of references, and I bet you it was boring. And they would zero in on minute parts of the law, and people obviously lost interest because what's Jesus doing? He's there preaching and with authority. You guarantee he is making the scriptures come alive and applying it to people's lives. People are impressed. They say, well, this is new teaching. They're enthralled. They're listening. During this, a kerfuffle occurs at the back. A man gets up, possessed with an impure, unclean, evil spirit. Different translations have it differently. And he gets up and he makes a scene. What do you want with us? The Greek has, what to you with me, which means you and I, we have nothing to do with each other. We are pole opposites. We are, it couldn't get further apart from each other. Why are you here? Now, isn't it interesting? He says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. It's interesting in Mark's gospel, you've got seemingly good people, rabbis, teachers of the law. You've got disciples. None of them really know who Jesus is, but the demons know. The evil spirits know. They recognize who Jesus is, but they don't bend the knee. They recognize him and reject him. They say, what do you want with us? And people thought if his teaching was interesting, his teaching is about to get some serious application because he drives out the evil spirit with absolutely no fuss. The man shrieks, the evil spirit comes out of him, and people now are incredibly interested. They say, well, we thought he had authority before, but now he has authority to drive out evil spirits. This man, Remember the question, who is Jesus? What did he come to do? Who is Jesus? He has authority over the spiritual realm. Who is this man? Now, in, we'll go back. You can hear some screaming. I guarantee you that's my son anyway. <laughs> Bless him. Um, go back to last week. Last week? Two weeks ago. I think, excuse me, we looked at Mark 1 verse 1. The author of this book, he's got a purpose statement. The beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, 
the Son of God. He puts his cards on the table, doesn't he? The one who wrote this book. He says, this is who I think Jesus is. But that's the only time in the 16 chapters that he lets loose who he thinks Jesus is. He puts it on the line, puts the cards on the table first, and then the rest of the book is he's producing evidence saying, you make up your mind. And so this, as the readers, as the hearers, we're supposed to be thinking, okay, well, who do we think he is for ourselves? Let the reader understand. Let us make a decision. Let the reader make up their own mind. Episode two. They leave the synagogue and they go to Simon Peter's house. His mother-in-law is there and she's sick. Jesus is told about this. He goes to her showing compassion and power over physical illness. Because what does he do? With virtually no effort, he heals her from her fever. Now we know, don't we, that Peter later on denies Jesus three times. We know that. And some commentators think that's payback for healing his mother-in-law right now. And that's a terrible joke. That's an awful joke. He's so much... Isn't that awful? So terrible. So terrible. I get my jokes from Paul Robertson. (laughs) Alpha people will know what that means. As a tradition in Alpha, Paul is leading Alpha and he tells a joke at the beginning of Alpha and they're always terrible. His wife can say it. You know it's a bad joke when you've got to say it's a joke? (laughs) It's probably not the last one for this morning. Now, what do we learn about Jesus in episode one? He has power over the spiritual realm. Here, we see he has power over physical illness because his power is not contained to the illness that Peter's mother-in-law is suffering because what happens next? Word gets out. No social media back then, but news has always traveled fast. Good news particularly, and spectacular spectacular news travels fast. Very fast. You can imagine the servants in the home of Simon Peter. They're running around. Look what happened. Come. So what happens? The whole town is gathered at their place. Probably not an exaggeration. I'd be there, wouldn't you? And what does Jesus do? Guys, I'm done for the day. Come back tomorrow for tomorrow's matinee. Simon, Peter, show them out. No, no, no. We've got to be constantly thinking, who are we witnessing here? We are witnessing God Incarnate. If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. So who, what's he like? He has incredible compassion. What does he do? Everyone that comes to him with any illness, any evil spirit that needs to be thrown out, Jesus does it. You can imagine this would be utterly exhausting. The whole town coming to him. It's phenomenal. Word gets out. The crowds start gathering. Jesus had a very popular ministry. Something extraordinary is taking place. The disciples know it, and Jesus knows it. Episode 3. Very early the next morning, while it's still dark, you get the idea that Jesus creeps out of the house before everybody wakes up. He goes off to a quiet place and prays. Now, Have you ever stopped to think about that? Some of us, we've talked about this throughout the year, this habit of Jesus. Have you ever stopped to think, Why does Jesus do this? You see, Jesus, the God-man, prioritized time with his heavenly Father to rest and restore. You think about that for a little while. That is an incredibly interesting concept. If the Son of God felt it necessary when pouring out himself in ministry to rest and recharge, spend time with his heavenly Father, how much more so his very human followers, his very finite followers? Think about that. 
Now, Jesus does this before significant times in his ministry. We see he spends time with, with his heavenly Father before he selects the 12 disciples, before he goes to the cross in Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, and he does it now. Why? I think... Sorry, I don't know if that's my microphone clicking. I think he's about to be confronted with a little temptation. He's about to be confronted with the crowd's agenda for his life and with his new disciples' agenda for his life. I think that's what's about to happen. The disciples wake up. Jesus is there. Gravy train's gone. Money train's gone. What? So they get out and they find him. Poor Jesus. Don't you just feel for him? He's just trying to get some space. He spent all night healing and, and pouring out in ministry, trying to get away maybe from the disciples. I don't know. And you just feel for him. He's found by his disciples. If anyone has young kids, you know what it's like when you try and find like a corner of the house to rest. I'll say sometimes it's even the toilet, but they won't leave you alone. That's young kids. feels a bit like that. Jesus is pursued by his followers and they find him. And their words have some sort of negative connotation, don't they? Everyone's looking for you, as in, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. Let's get back to what we were doing last night. That, that worked. There, there were, there's some crowds now, Jesus. Come on, let's capitalize on what's going on here. Let's make those crowds a little bit bigger. You see, the disciples, they'd mapped out Jesus' next moves, hadn't they? Jesus, you've got some amazing gifts. Let's take this thing on the road. I can see us doing bigger and bigger venues than the stadium in Jerusalem. Let's do this thing. Let's take it on the road. And of course, they're picturing themselves in that, aren't they? They're thinking, well, I've hitched my ride to the right train. They're thinking, because you can see it, can't you, in the Gospels. They're constantly arguing, who should, who's the greatest? I want to sit at his right hand. No, I, they don't get it. They don't get it yet. It's okay, many of us don't get it either. The disciples have an agenda for Jesus, and what does he say? No. No. Let's go elsewhere. Let's go preach there also in other villages. That is why I've come. You see, Jesus spends time with the Father that morning because he's confronted with a temptation, with a choice, to appeal to the crowds and his own disciples or to continue with his God-given mission to share the good news of deep healing that he offers to the world. And we're going to see that highlighted particularly in the coming episodes. Now, I was, as I was preparing this week, I was thinking about this whole idea of sort of agenda hijacking. I was just praying, like, okay, we've, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us as Harborside Church? You see, we have an exciting mission here. We're in our third week. Things are happening here. If you've, I'm sure many of you know the story of, of how God has rebirthed this church, brought new life to this church. It's been an incredible journey. And Pip and I and the team, we just feel like we've been along for the ride. We've been obedient. God's been writing the story. What a story he's writing. It's an exciting mission here at Harborside to proclaim the hope of Jesus to Mossman and beyond. We exist to invite people to encounter Jesus. That's why we exist. But here's the thing. I reckon we're going to have times when that mission is going to be challenged. Because it's hard to keep those fires burning for mission, isn't it? I reckon we're going to have times. That, I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know yet. 
It could be success. It could be many people joining us. Or it could be persecution. I don't, it could be challenges. I'm not sure. But we are going to have times when our, our laser-sharp focus at the moment to invite people to encounter Jesus is challenged. And I reckon one of those challenges is comfort. Because the default of most churches, therefore most likely us, is to go from mission mode to maintenance mode. To sort of just being outward focused to inward focused. And it's easy to do. It's easy to do. So together we need to remind ourselves to be absolutely loving and caring and creating a warm and welcoming space to invite people to encounter Jesus while also being outward focused. I think for us the word for the moment is we need to be comfortable with a bit of uncomfortability. That's not easy. We need to encourage each other to do that. But that's the mission here. We want to be outward focused in order to reach people. But that's not easy to do. I think that's a message for us this morning. We need to keep laser sharp focused on the mission that God has for us at this time. Okay, episode four. I, I love this encounter with Jesus. I, I, I could preach a whole sermon on this. I won't, I promise. But maybe another time we'll, we'll spend more time on it. There is so much to say on Jesus' encounter with this person. Jesus is approached by a man with, with leprosy, a skin disease. We don't exactly know, but most likely some type of leprosy. And he kneels down. It's an amazing picture. It's a picture in your mind. He kneels down and he begs him, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And in some translations, it has Jesus filled with compassion, Jesus filled with mercy. But the, the one I've been studying this week is the new NIV 2011. It has Jesus was indignant. What does that mean? It means almost Jesus was upset. Jesus was angry. It's the same idea in the book of Judges where God is upset, angry at the misery his people are going through. Now, what's going on here? I believe what's going on is Jesus sees this man who is a shell of a man, and he is angry, not with the fact that he's been accosted, not with the fact that he's been interrupted, but with the state of this man. He is upset with what has happened. Why? Because we know that leprosy then now, it's a terribly, terribly horrible disease. It cuts you off from society. Why? Because it's terribly contagious. I mean, the rules and regulations back then meant you had to be outside the city walls. And think about your worshipping community, your family, your friends, your community, gone. You had to leave and be part of a, a, a different, desolate, poor community outside. Even for Jesus to be accosted by this man is scandalous. He should have been nowhere near him. Absolutely nowhere near him. This man had to wear awful clothes. One of um, the, the Jewish scholars back in the first century described lepers as looking like walking corpses. That's what they looked like. And he had to wear a bell around his neck and he had to ring it and yell, unclean, unclean, whenever he was around anybody. Now he has thrown out these things to get to Jesus because he's heard about him. He's desperate, full of faith to come to Jesus for healing. And what does Jesus feel? Compassion. But he feels angry at what has occurred to this person because he has been made in the image of God and that has been blighted. And Jesus is here to do something about that. It's phenomenal. I had the great privilege of uh, traveling to India in 2010 with the band. Don't worry, this is not a band story, I promise. We did do some shows, but it's all right. We, um, 
we went there with a, an organisation called Mission India. They did phenomenal things, planted churches, helped women out of sex slavery, and they worked with the untouchables. And it was very confronting work, phenomenal work. One evening, they kind of sprung at us, actually. They said, we'd like to take you to a leper colony. I didn't know what to think. <laughs> I must admit, I, I, all of those f- things, of it's contagious, what are we going to do? And but we went along. We drove in a car outside the city and we went to a pretty simple sort of compound. And I remember it was in the evening and we were ushered into this room. It was hot. Man, India is hot, let me tell you. No air conditioning anywhere. Just a, couple, a tiny little fan in the corner doing nothing. We sat down. It was a room full of people. I remember sitting down and just taking in what was around me. And there were people with no noses, ears, no fingers, that kind of thing. It was quite confronting. But you know what these people were doing? Mission India? They were seeking to give these people their dignity back through compassion and through education. It was phenomenal. Every single one of the people there had these little chalkboards. And with the stubs of fingers and hands that remained, they were writing their names. They were asked to write their names and show it to us. I'll never forget them holding the chalkboard out with that smile on their faces with you know, one or two teeth in their mouth, just showing us they could write their name. I'll never forget it. These people, in Jesus' name, were giving these lepers their dignity back. Why? Because we see Jesus do it first. They were doing it in the name of Jesus. These people have value because they were made in the image of God. That is a Christian notion and a beautiful one. Jesus is restoring this man with his dignity and welcoming him back into community. Phenomenal. Episode 5. Many of us know this story. It's famous. I remember hearing about it in Sunday school, being fascinated with a man being lowered from the ceiling. It's a very famous story, isn't it? Jesus is back in Capernaum where he was first spoken about in this passage. He tries to slip back in unnoticed, doesn't work. Crowds have followed him. He ends up preaching to a room rammed with people. There's no room inside. There's no room outside the door. Five men full of faith try to get to him, but they can't. Have you ever been in a a really packed room like that? Maybe a concert? I don't know. I remember going to lots of concerts trying to sneak up the front. You know, when you come in late, you try and sneak. But sometimes it's a a really popular show. You can't get there. People have locked arms because they've been there all day and they're thinking, you are not getting past. It's a bit like that. It's not very nice, but people are intrigued with Jesus. They're not letting him through. Five men full of faith, one carried on a mat, try to get to Jesus. But they do something a little bit different, don't they? They go up on the roof. Now, it sounds probably a little bit uh, more crazy than it actually is. People probably used the roof of their homes as another room back then. It didn't rain very much in the Middle East. And they would often entertain on the roof. And so there was most likely a stairwell leading up to the roof that the men took the paralyzed man on. But what they do next, that's pretty interesting. They they take apart the roof. I remember in Greek, uh, when we were learning this in Mark, the, the, what it exactly says is they unroofed the roof. And we thought that was hilarious in Greek because there wasn't much to laugh about in that class, let me tell you. And so, <laughs> so we laughed about that. Even now, I, anyway, I text my friend, they unroofed the roof. Ha ha, gee, we're so boring. So, 
But I mean, that's pretty amazing. They, 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 you see their desperation in order to get to Jesus. They started dismantling the roof. Can you imagine being in the room and having dust fall on you, then clumps of mud, and then sticks fall on you, and then a man come through the ceiling? That's a story you don't forget. That's a story that you share. What happens next is truly profound. This man is lowered. And what Jesus says next, I just want to spend a bit of time on this. That, that's really significant for us this morning. Now, why has this man come to Jesus? It's obvious. Why has he come? Think about it. He wants healing. He is paralyzed. We don't exactly know he's a paralytic. We don't know if it's, he's quadriplegic. We don't know what limbs can move. But this man is in need, isn't he? He's in desperate need. And a little bit like the leper, disability back then, there was no welfare. And so it meant you were either a drain on your friends and family or you were poor. But he had some friends and they brought him and they were tenacious. They come to Jesus. What's his greatest need? What does Jesus say next? He wants to walk. So why does Jesus say these words? He's lowered and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Why? This relates back to Jesus' confrontation with his disciples. The reason he came probably relates even to what Jesus was talking about before the roof caved in. Don't forget this. If you forget anything else, don't forget this. Jesus is a healer, but he's come to do the deep work of the great healer. Let me say that again. Jesus is a healer, but he's come to do the deep work of the great healer. I wonder if you've seen this movie uh, here. It's a slide for it. The Work. I'd be surprised if anyone has seen it. It's an indie film out of the US. A friend of mine recommended it to me. I, I think I recommend it. It is a confronting film. It's very in your face. It, it's, a, it's a great... I really enjoyed it. Let me tell you what it's about. It's an experience watching this. Bit of a tour de force. It follows three men specifically during four days of intensive group therapy like a retreat, inside the walls of Folsom Prison with serving inmates. So men who were doing it tough are brought in from the outside into prison with prison mates who are also doing this but who have done this group work many times before. Some of the prison inmates facilitate what's going on. They spend their time sharing about their pain and problems. And the purpose of the whole thing is to help the men get to the source of what's going on in their lives get to the, the root of their problems. You see, they've got lots of things happening on the surface, but the larger issues underneath, that's what they're trying to get at. That's what's driving at their behavior. And it's really intense. Like you witness some of these men go through horrific moments as they realize things about their life, as they're confronting things they don't want to talk about. Very confronting. But after they do that, after these men, it's an exhausting experience, and these men spend a lot of time sharing, and after, often they break down. They sort of hug each other and they pat each other on the back and go, and they say, that's the work. That's why the movie's called The Work. That's the work. That's the, that's the good work. That's the good work. Because they've got to the root of some of their issues there. Jesus came to do the work. Jesus came to do the good work. Jesus came to do the, the deep and good work of the great healer. You see, Jesus, in that instant, as the man is lowered down, 
He sees through his presenting need, his felt need of, of needing to walk. Who can blame him? You and I would do the same thing. But he sees through the felt need into his deepest need. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus does not misspeak. You see, this man's greatest need wasn't broken legs, but it was a broken heart. It was a broken soul. Jesus' whole reason for coming is getting to the source of all our problems, to deal with it once and for all. The deeper work for that paralytic and for you and I is the need to be forgiven. And I, I would say we all sense it. We all sense it. I was in London a few months ago and I got a new friend uh, from Australia that was going to be in London at the same time. And we're trying to hook up and trying to hang out together. And it was difficult. And he said, oh, come on out for dinner this one night. Anyway, I was at a conference and I went late. We met up and uh, he was there with a bunch of friends. So new people. Okay, great. And so we sat down and it was a really interesting time. He, in, he introduced me as, this is David, my friend, the priest. Okay. <laughs> I'll go with that. And so none of these people had much religious background. They weren't Christians and and so we sat down, and they were quite fascinated with me. It was a bit strange. And, uh, but we chatted for the next two to three hours about faith. It was amazing. It was just wonderful hearing their questions, some of their experiences. It was great. I really enjoyed it. All from different parts of the world. It was really a really cool experience. And one of the women who was not antagonistic to faith, but certainly had some walls up, fair enough, about two and a half hours into the conversation, there was a bit of a lull, as there is. You know, we were getting quite serious. And she said this, what do we do with all that guilt? I, could, I couldn't believe that she'd said that. What do we do with all that guilt? And there was a murmur around the table. There was agreement. And I, I mean, what an opportunity to speak about the good news of Jesus. But I, it was late, so I just went home. No, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> I went for it. I mean, no, not really. But we, it was what a wonderful chance to talk about why Jesus came. Why do you think of we've dedicated our lives to the church for that very reason to speak about these beautiful truths? You see, every single one of us have a sense that we don't measure up, that we don't live up to others' expectations, that we don't live up to our own expectations. We all have feelings of failure, brokenness, guilt, shame, a longing for wholeness. I think I'm alone in feeling that. At Harborside, we talk about this a lot. We want to be a church that is real, that's transparent, that's vulnerable, that's honest. You see, Jesus came to deal with those very things. What do we do with our guilt? Great question. We can do nothing. Jesus is the only one that can do anything about it. That's exactly why he came. Jesus deals with it for us. See, what we need is not more self-help, not good advice. We don't need more distraction. We need the work of the great healer, Jesus. We need our sin, guilt, and shame dealt with. That's what he came to do. I love this quote. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent the Savior. Isn't that good? Good quote. Max Licato, I think, said that. Jesus came to deal with our greatest need. 
This was Jesus' mission. He wouldn't be swayed. Praise him for not being swayed. He wouldn't. He resolutely set his face. It wasn't easy. Just like Wilberforce spent 45 years of his life. It wasn't easy for Jesus. It took him living a perfect life, resisting temptation. It took him doing the Father's will, resolutely setting his face toward Jerusalem, where he hung on a cross to deal with our sin. The only one who could, the only one qualified, the only one who did, who can do anything about the chasm between the divine and us. That's why Jesus came. To be a healer, to show compassion, absolutely. But to do the deeper work of restoring us to who we were meant to be. Restoring us to our Father in heaven. Every single other issue that we have springs from that. Because at the fall, we create sin, created a gap, a chasm to open up between God and us, each other, and our world. And Jesus came to do something about it. What what does Jesus say to the man coming down? Son, your sins are forgiven. In Christ, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Amen to that. We're going to try... um, as we close, now we're going to try something a bit different this morning. At Harborside, we are committed to prayer. I said before I started preaching that we're committed to opening up God's word and hearing him speak and we will listen. We're also dedicated to prayer. And this morning, it would be wrong talking about Jesus being a great healer if we didn't bring some of our needs as a new community to him in prayer in the area of physical needs. So that's what we're going to do this morning. I've asked the prayer team to be on hand. When I close, we're going to sing a couple of songs. And after that, we're going to spend some time. We're going to have people available to pray for you. If you're experiencing physical need and you would like prayer, we want to offer that. We cannot manipulate God, but we come to him as beloved children to a loving Heavenly Father, and we bring requests to Him. So can I do that? Can I invite you? During the song, think about that. Could that be me? Can I be honest with you? I'm going to be there. I've got something that's quite painful. It's been, Pippi knows about it. It's been bugging me for months, and I want to, Pippi said, you've got to get prayer for that. That's what I'm going to be doing this morning. That's what, if you have those needs, please come down. That's what we exist for here at Harborside, is to introduce people to Jesus and be praying for each other as a community. Also, if you have not experienced the forgiveness in Christ that he offers, we invite you this morning to do that very thing. If you have not been reconciled with the one who made you, come down, have a chat, or come down and experience prayer, maybe for the first time. So I'm going to invite the band up now, and I'm going to pray.